You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Just excited to have you guys here at Reality Honolulu. My name is Riz, the pastor here, if I have not yet met you. Just glad that you would join us and spend your Sunday morning here with us. Uh, Now it's a time of service where we jump into the Word of God and allow God to speak to us through it. And so if you do have a Bible, love for you to turn to the book of Philippians. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles on these tables right as you walk in. There's a sign that says Bibles on those tables. That is for you to take and use during our time studying it. Or if you want to take one home because you don't have it or don't have that translation. Or you know someone in need that would love a Bible for you to give away. Um, But if you've been with us, you know that we've been in the book of Philippians for some time now. And we're getting near the end of it. Uh, We've been here since the fall of last year, and we've just been taking our time, just digging into a couple verses a week, reading it, praying, asking God to speak to us, and then just expounding on the concepts we find in these few verses, and prayerfully hoping that God would change us through his word to become more like him. And so... It's this incredible letter written by the Apostle Paul to this church in Philippi, a bunch of Christian believers at this newly formed church, and he is expounding upon who God is, who we are in Christ, and how we can practically live these things out. And so um, I'm going to be reading out of two two versions, actually, just to give us, because they're a little bit different, there's some nuance to them, but I'm going to be reading out of the NIV translation and the NLT translation. Um, one after another, and then we'll pray. But here is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. In verse 8, he says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's the NIV translation. The NLT translation, a little similar, but it says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you have heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that we have in our hands that we can read from and hear from the living God through it. God, we want to sit ourselves in this letter this morning as the audience hearing it, just like the Philippians then, we want to hear it today. We We want to apply and receive these truths and these exhortations for us as well, 
So in advance, we say, God, let us be a people that dwells on what is pure and lovely and admirable and and praiseworthy. We want to be a people as Christians that fill our minds with the things of heaven. And not only intellectually do we want to do that, but we also want to put everything that we know of who you are and what we're supposed to be about into practice as Christians. Not only with our head, but with our whole self. We want to live for and honor you, Christ. And so, would you have your way in this place? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're a runner. I am not a runner. Um... I played tons of sports growing up, loved being active, but I was not into endurance sports, meaning like I'd play basketball or baseball or even football, but like soccer was stretching it. I just like, I actually quit like halfway through a season when I was like eight because I was like, too much running. This is too much. I did track, but I did like 100 meter or like four by 100. I would stretch it to 200 meters, but like I'm out. I'm gassed out. I'm, I'm not good. But several years ago, not several, maybe five, six now. Um, a few of us, Kaimana and David and Christian, just, it was supposed to be more people. We just challenged ourselves to a half marathon. And I know that many of you are like way, like you're like extra ultra marathon people. That's fine. But for me, I had never, which is amazing. <laughs> Not fine, that's amazing. But for me, I had never run in my whole life more than one mile. Because that was like the PE requirement on any PE class I took. It was like, there was never a time where I ran more than one physical mile. So like 33-ish years old in, it was like, let's do 13. (laughs) And he's like, dude, what are you even telling me? So for months, again, this is like zero to a thousand, I trained and did it. And, you know, like we did the marathon and and it was the most, the hardest thing I've ever done physically, for sure. I never got runners high or like, I never, it was never fun. It never was. I never reached all these things you're talking about, never found it. I never got there. Maybe one and done. I don't know. I, mean, I haven't done anything since. I haven't ran more than, um, other than pickleball. Like, I, that's all I run these days. But it was incredible. And this is why I'm going to wrap it up. I mean, tie it into the text, my story. I could not believe. I was reminded again how, for me, to do this race, it was like 99% like mindset. Just telling myself, keep running. Take one more step. Even though my body and like everything else was saying like alarm, alarm, alarm. Like Apple Watch heartbeat is so high. But like it was absolutely incredible like when you just mentally were geared up for like i'm just going to do it it was incredible how like your physical body just followed like i honestly step away from that season going it's pretty cre- incredible how god made your body and you can do way more than you ever think cuz there's no way that i would have told you i would have done that but i was i was tripping out and even in this in this text today i was really reminded of how incredible God made our minds and bodies to operate. That's like when people say, like, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. It's like, there's actually a lot of truth to that. That's not just like, 
this self-help saying, it's reminding us that like there's a lot of ways that God made our bodies. That if you dwell and if you put your mind to something, like the rest of your life and the physical parts of your life actually follow. Right? Your mind has a lot of control and a lot of influence on the rest of your life. And this is exactly what Paul is hitting on the head today. I don't know if you heard, but he said, like, he's wrapping up this letter. And he's said a lot in this letter. And twice he says, finally, if there's one thing, if there's one thing I can have you get out of this letter, it's fix your mind on all these things. It's because he's addressing the effect that has on the arrest of our life when we dwell on the things of God and of heaven. And for context's sake, to kind of maybe help increase the potency of what he's saying today, I want to remind us and remember like what Paul's entire purpose, not only of this letter is, but of his life in general. So if you know anything about the life of Paul, he was by no means like grew up in the church and loved Jesus. He was actually the persecutor of the church. He was the one that persecuted the church the most. He wanted to end Christianity before it started. And he was actually really, he was going for it. I mean, that was his sole purpose was he was against the movement of Jesus. And then Jesus miraculously met him on the road to Damascus, saved him. Paul had this incredible conversion experience. And instead of a persecutor, he's now like the forerunner of the whole movement. And he's taken the movement from Jerusalem into Asia, into now Europe. And he's writing this letter from Rome. So if, again, if you look, if you know the map, it's like Jerusalem to Rome. That's quite a distance before air travel that the gospel has spread. And along the way, he's not only told people about Jesus, he's not only showed them and told them about what it's like to follow and live for Jesus, but he's started churches. He's raised up leaderships. He's raised up elders. He's trained pastors. He's trained staffs. He's to, to try to make this movement continue on without him being there. But his whole purpose and what he's become over these years in the book of Acts, we see most of his life. All these letters are him writing to churches or pastors that we have in the New Testament. But what Paul really is, he's a mentor. He's a trainer. He's a shepherd. He's one who contends for churches to be filled with true disciples of Jesus. Like over and over, if you were to do a study on the letters of Paul, which there'd be a great study. Look at like the 13 letters in the New Testament. They're, they're written by Paul. They're written to different people in different cities where there's, there's different emphases. But what is he mainly trying to get across? Is he's trying to train Christians what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple Right? Jesus started with 12. He gathered 12. And that small movement by the power of the Spirit and the power of God has become thousands of believers now. And we are part of that. But we're all called to be disciples. Now, that, that word disciple is we, we don't 
normally use that in our vocabulary. At least a lot of us do not in every um, everyday life. But maybe a better, more understandable, more comprehensive term that might be something that we do understand. Disciple is very similar to the idea of being an apprentice. So that, that you can go, oh, what does it mean to apprentice someone? And again, uh, I didn't live through necessarily like formal apprenticeships, but almost every one of my buddies that I graduated high school with went on to be in the trades. Electricians, plumbers, construction, and all of them, whether formal or whether one year or five years, all did apprenticeships with someone that was better than them at that trade, that had been doing it for years, that did it certain ways. And the whole purpose of that apprenticeship was to learn how to do that trade. And over years, you would not only learn how to do that trade, but you'd probably pick up specific ways your mentor did that certain thing. So people would know. It's like, oh, you do it that way? Like you solder that that way? Oh, who did you apprentice under? Oh, they do that. Or some people are like, oh, you, where did you learn plumbing? <laughs> you must learn from that guy, right, or whatever it is. But as Christians, we're called to be as disciples. We're called to be apprentices to the person of Jesus. He is our teacher, our rabbi. He's the one that we're supposed to apprentice under. And learn from. And even in 2024 here in Hawaii at Reality, like in the same way that the Philippians back then some 2,000 years ago, our aim as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you follow the way of Jesus, our aim is to study in depth the life of Jesus because Jesus is the exact representation of our Heavenly Father, God in the flesh, God incarnate, so when we study the life of Jesus, we actually see the character of God, Father God. And so our goal as Christians is to apprentice Jesus. That's why, like, as cheesy as it is, those bracelets that when I was in middle school were so not cheesy, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I honestly think there is, like, a million percent validity in wearing that thing. Because in every situation, you're like, well, what would Jesus do? And you're like... Well, that's funny. It's like, no, that's apprenticeship. That's a reminder of apprenticeship. Well, how are you supposed to treat that person? Let me think about how Jesus would have treated that person. I'm not saying we, you have to do that. I'm saying it's a way, though, to be reminded of your apprenticeship or the purpose of how you should go about life. But again, Paul's whole goal in this first generation, first generation post-Jesus, think about what I just said. Jesus lives. He has a three-and-a-half-year ministry. He dies on the cross. He raises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. Then there's all these Christians. Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost. The church grows from like 100 people to 3,000 people. But then persecution comes. The church, 3,000 people, is now spread, and actually that persecution helps grow the church to many thousand, maybe tens of thousands, right? Paul is ministering to this first generation post-physical Jesus being on earth. Like, think about that. Different cultures, different languages, they've never seen Jesus, they heard about him, this is fresh off the press, 
Jesus just died, he rose again. The movement of Christianity is like 10, 20, 30 years old. Paul's like whole goal is to train and disciple and teach this new generation what it means to follow that guy that you didn't even know back in Jerusalem. It's the same today. We weren't with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. We didn't see him, but we have the word of God that illuminates and shows us who he is and what he's done. But again, Paul was the major catalyst for the health and the growth of this movement in every church, in every letter, like the one we have in front of us. And what he does in all these letters, like he does in Philippians, is he not only gives us the theology of what we are to believe, but he also is showing and telling us who God is and who we are in God and how that's to be lived out and how our life should be ordered. And like today, he's encouraging us and exhorting us to actually do it together as the people of God. So what a huge part of what he does today is he he hits this idea of mindset or how powerful our thoughts can be. Right? There's like really two things. Verse 8 talks about mindset and verse 9 talks about practical application. But mindset, right? Paul here, he knew how powerful our thoughts are and the effect that they can have on us. Just like my analogy of running that half marathon. Paul knew, though, the effects that when we did dwell upon things, it would affect our actions, it would affect where we spend our time, it would affect our priorities. And I think we can all relate to that, right? Like when you obsessively think about something, when you have a goal in mind, or when you're really trying to do something, like every free moment you're thinking about and you're, you're going over it in your head, what does that do to the rest of your life? Well, your whole life is informed by what you're thinking about. You're not going to do certain things. You're going to spend more time here. You're going to spend your money there. It's all about what you're thinking about and what you're dwelling about and what you're spending time in your mind space thinking about. And for the Christians, this is huge because we may... I mean, belief comes from the heart and the mind. But when we're first saved, right, Romans would tell us, if you believe with your heart that Jesus died, Jesus is Lord, and you, and you trust that he died and rose again, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's this heart connection. Belief comes from the heart. It also comes from the head, but belief comes first. Then it goes to the head. Then we dwell upon the things of God. But a lot of times, our mind shapes our actions. Right? I think we can all agree that, you know what? Like, I believe that Jesus did that. I believe he's Lord. I believe in Scripture and who Jesus was and what he did for me on the cross. I believe it. But then sometimes there's a disconnect of like daily life, of our actions and the effects that the belief that we have actually comes out. And I think Paul's getting to 
a really important spot where he says, yeah, if you can believe with your heart, but also it's really important to dwell upon the things in which you believe in because it affects your actions. Again, Paul many times in his letters is advocating for us to dwell upon the things of eternity or have a heavenly mindset. He says it in a million different ways. But Paul over and over and scripture over and over is saying, don't forget what God did for you. Don't forget to recall the works of God. Like it's all about remembering who God is and what he's done like constantly. Again, if you were to look at scripture, why did God's people get in trouble? Why did they wander? Why did they disobey God? They failed to remember. They failed to recall what God had done. And they took everything into their own hands and they did it however they thought they should. Like that is the story of the Bible. So Paul is linking that and he's saying, if there's one final thing that you can get from this letter that you're reading, Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent. Things about, think about things worthy of praise. All of these categories are really subjective unless you have an object or standard in which to point to. What I mean is, if I ask everyone on the streets to do this, anybody, I don't know who they are, everyone has a truth. Everyone has different standards of what's honorable or not. Like, if you ask, what is right? You'd be like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, that's so subjective. What is pure? What is lovely? What is admirable? Like, this is all different unless... You have an object or standard to point to that guides us, right? Unless Christ is the object and the standard, well, you can dwell upon all these things in wrong ways. Because, like, your truth is going to be different than what the Bible says. Like, so that wouldn't be good. Don't dwell on that. What is honorable? Well, what's honorable to me might not be what's honorable to you. But again, the Bible, Christ, the word of God, the character of God, all talks about this. We just look to the person of Jesus. We look to scripture. And we know exactly what is the ultimate truth. What is honorable? What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? It's like, dude, it's all the person of Christ. He is perfect. He is without sin. The character of God is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful, and he's all-loving, and all-merciful, and he's just, and there's, he is without sin and without error. So again, for the Christian, Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true about who God is, what is honorable to God, what is right to God, what is pure to God, what is lovely to God, what is admirable. If they're, think about things that are excellent. What's excellent? It's the things of God. What's worthy of praise? Well, only God. Right? If we have, if our metrics and our standards are Jesus, then we're going to be on the right foot. But pre-Jesus, you could read this verse and 
have a heyday thinking about whatever you want. Because again, everyone could have their own truths. But again, when our mind and our thoughts are consumed with everything um, about Jesus, actions flow. That's what Paul's getting to here. And again, pre-Jesus, if you were to do this, your life could be looked up a lot different than once you come to know Jesus, if you get what I mean. But when we give our life to Christ, when we surrender, when our heart believes and our mind acknowledges who God is, whatever you want to say, give your life to Christ, born again, salvation, when that moment comes, when you decide to give your life to Jesus and follow him as your Lord and Savior, what, the, what Scripture says is that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and immediately starts changing you. It's called sanctification. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus from the moment that you're saved till we see Jesus face to face. The Holy Spirit begins to transform you. The Word of God informs us and the Holy Spirit transforms us. Right? The Word of God informs us who God is and who Jesus is, and then the Holy Spirit transforms us. Our mindset should and does begin to shift. Once you believe who Jesus is, your mindset should begin to shift. Because once again, now we have a God set of standards to know what he thinks to be lovely and pure and good and worthy of praise. And when we as apprentices strive to dwell upon and fill our minds with God's goodness and things of his kingdom and his character and heaven's realities and not our own, uh, not our own, excuse me, what happens? Outward change begins and continues. Like it, I can testify, there are so many testimonies in this room. That, that This is the testimony of so many of you in this room. I gave my life to Christ. I believed in who Jesus was. And that started it. That started change. But then when I asked further, there's so many of you in this room that would say, you know what, though? It's when I started to dwell upon and think about and care about what God cares about. When I started to have a heavenly mindset, a heavenly perspective, everything changes. Because again, you look through a different lens. Money looks different. Your time looks different. Your job looks different. Your relationships all are to look different once we come to Jesus and have that heavenly mindset. And that's why Paul leads the very next thing he says I don't think it's coincidence. He says, after you have this mindset of thinking about who God is in this way, verse 9, he says, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Paul, Paul doesn't try to make this hard. He actually is very practical. He's a, he, he, he has deep theology at times, but he's very practical. And, and think about Paul. 
He started this church. He's the founder of this church. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. He's a mentor to like all of Christianity at the time. But he's speaking very personally to this church that he knows well that he helped start. And this would allude that he spent quite a bit of time with them. They've seen him. He's spoken. They've looked at his life. They've heard about how he's followed Jesus. And so what he's saying here, in essence, is Paul is saying, church, it's time to put into practice what you've intellectually been told all these years. Because again, if, if he didn't include this, Right, then verse 8 would just be like, oh, Paul just wants us to just dwell on things above. That's good. But he said, take all of your knowledge of who God is and do something with it. Don't just keep it all in here or here. Put it into practice all that you've seen from me. Paul would even go as far to say as, he would go as far to say, follow me as I follow Christ. It's the idea he's getting to here. The way in which I've, I've, I've loved and served Jesus, follow my example, now do the same. Remember, in context sake, Paul is in prison writing these words. He's not sure of his fate. He does not know if he's actually going to see them again. That's why this kind of sounds like he's not going to see them again. Because he doesn't know if he is. Again, so he's writing this letter if this is his final words to this church that he may never be with again this side of heaven. And so this is his final plea and his final exhortation to like keep the work of God going in the world because I might not be able to do it myself. This is the baton pass. This is the relay race. Paul is coming to an end. Well, he doesn't know when his race is done. This is figuratively him giving the baton of Christianity to this group and say, it's on you now to put into practice all that I've told you. Right? It's like a parent to a kid. Like, I've told you this a lot, and I've helped you a lot, but now it's time for you to do it without me. And if you're a parent, or if, I mean, we're all kids of a parent, there's that moment when you're growing up or when you're raising kids where you start, have to start like, you got to do it on your own. I've told you, I'm here, but you know what to do. You got this. That's what he's saying. Like, get in the game. Get off the bench. This is you now. Everything I've taught you, everything you've seen me do and say about Jesus and God's heart and God's kingdom, put it into practice. He's con connecting the intellectual with practical everyday living. And we see this a lot. I mean, I've seen this a lot where a lot of us, we, we soak up a lot of scripture or we soak up a lot of sermons or podcasts or maybe we grew up in the church and we know a lot about God. We maybe know who he is a lot. We've heard that sermon. We know that book. But, so Paul says, he speak to us and said, okay, well, put it all into practice now. It's not meant for just your mind. It's not meant for just your heart to be contained there. It's actually supposed to be lived out. Right? If you're a student, 
You go through classes. This is your practicum. This is your residency. Now it's time to do it. That's nerve-wracking. There's anxiety that comes with that. There's a, a, maybe a lack of confidence or what do you mean? I got to go do it now. But this is the way of Jesus, right? The way of Jesus is to be lived out. It's to be shared. It's to be taught. It's to be exposed to others so that they also can come to know the way of Jesus. And again, when I, when I read these verses and read this scripture, I'm reminded, and I hope you would be reminded too, why coming to church with community, in community together, publicly hearing the word of God, why the public reading of God's word by the power of his Holy Spirit is so good. Because it reminds us of what we're to live into together as the people of God. This letter was read in public, in a public setting with the church gathered. It was meant to do that. The reading of scripture was meant to be in a public forum. And so that's why it's so good, like on the Lord's Day on Sundays, we do this because it's times like today that sets us on the right foot again. Because, right, we can be challenged by this. Right? We can ask questions like, well, how, how does this challenge us? How does this speak to us? Specifically, the question, what consumes our thoughts? Right? The, the Bible is supposed to be like a mirror that we look into and, and, um, and we look at it through like, is this us? Is this happening to us? Are we living into what the Bible is saying in our own life? And so all of us can, like, do a little assessment today, like a heart check, whatever you want to call it, a mind check. What consumes our thoughts? And again, practically, like, a lot of our day has to be thought about, like, our work and our family and, like, cooking or cleaning or, like, paying the bills or driving in a car. Like, there's a lot that we just practically have to think about. But there's also a lot of time that we do have outside of everything we have to do. And again, a lot of times it's like, let me just turn off my brain at night and watch that Netflix show. I actually don't want to think about it. But, but if you think about it, there's early morning, there's driving, there's walking, there's little moments when you're cooking or when you're doing these things where you have space to think about stuff. And so today would be a day that we all ask each other, oh man, am I dwelling on things above? Am I thinking and pondering like Paul said about what's lovely and good about who God is? Am I thinking about his character and his goodness and his mercy? And am I dwelling upon those things? And then what would be really helpful for all of us to ask ourselves today is how are we practically applying what we believe with our head and heart to daily practical living? How are we applying what we believe with our head and our heart to daily practical living? The reason why I'm, I'm highlighting this is because we, we would all agree, like, Sunday morning for an hour and a half, we're, we're in. Right? We're in. 
dwelling upon God. We're hearing the word of God. We're seeing lyrics on songs. We're talking about Jesus to each other. Like, we're in. Our head and our heart are engaged in the things of God. Okay, but what about like this other, you know, six and three-quarter days? Like the rest of today and the rest of the week and next Saturday before next Sunday. How are we practically living out what we are engaged in on a Sunday morning. And if you take a poll of the church from the day this letter was written till now, this is one of the hardest connecting points for Christians. On the Lord's Day, in community, at that Bible study, in that worship service, we were on. And then what happens is, is like we're like different humans the rest of the week. Like, we're just different, like, not even thinking about God, not even caring. Like, our life is just, like, and so there's a disconnect. That's, that's, that's a disjointed or disconnect because it's not supposed to be bifurcated or compartmentalized like that. But I think a Sunday service at 10 a.m. naturally compartmentalizes Christianity for us negatively sometimes. Because we're like, I'm good then. Ohana group, I can kind of reset and it can get me to next Sunday. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's the right way to think about it. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that who we are in God, who God is, who Jesus is, should be throughout our week dwelled upon. So again, sermons, podcasts, Bible reading, worship songs, these prompt thought. Those are tools that help this. So do those things. A Ohana group, a Bible study, a text to a friend that you're praying for them. Like these are like promptings to dwell upon things above. And what Paul says is if you dwell upon the things of God, your life and your actions will follow. And so it's not like, okay, I'm going to go to church and then I just have to try to change my whole life. Like every email and everything I just have to. No, it's like you just dwell upon the things of the Lord as an apprentice of Jesus, and you start thinking more about what that looks like, and naturally your emails will just change. Maybe you'll be softer in tone. Maybe you'll be more forgiving. Maybe you'll have more grace. Maybe you'll like... Your life begins to change as your head and heart begins to dwell upon the goodness of God. And that's all that Paul's saying. But that is way easier said than done. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to enter in this time of worship. And I want to challenge us to dwell upon these questions and come to God in prayer and ask him to continue to change us to be more like him. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you for this beautiful reminder of like, what we're to live into as Christians. Who we're to be. How we're to act. And God, thank you that you're reminding us today of your, like, your perfect design for our life. Like we are to be a people that are led by a God who loves and cares about us and who sent his son to die for us. Like we're meant to be a people that lives into that reality daily. God, I pray for myself. I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ in here. I pray that we would be, we would dwell upon 
who you are and your character, that we would think more about what it would look like to live more for Jesus more often and more regularly through our week. Holy Spirit, we need help to do that because our minds are flooded with everything else but you. Our minds are inundated with so many, so many other thoughts, so many conflicting voices, so many other things that we could spend our time. But God, we want to be a people that is about our Father's business. So would you help us to be a people, like Paul would say, that fix our mind on these things. And God, we want to be a people also that take all that we know and put it into practice, as Paul would say. We love you, Lord. We ask for a um, sweet time of worship now, a sweet time engaging with you in prayer and communion. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. As always, we want to encourage you to worship and be with God, however that would be these next few songs, whether that's coming up to the carpets in a posture of surrender, whether it's standing and raising your arms, whether it's sitting in your seat or kneeling. We want you to have expression of worship, however you see fit. We also have communion to the right and to the left. And instead of me leading you in communion, what we here do at Reality is we have communion set up for you to, at any time during these next few songs, whenever it's right for you, to come and take a cup of bread and take a cup of juice, to drink the bread and drink and eat the, uh, drink the juice, eat the bread, to remember Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. His bread, is the, the bread, symbolizes his body, and the juice symbolizes his blood that was spilt for us. And what it does is it fix our mind on the cross. And if you need prayer, I encourage you to pray with those right next to you or someone near you, that you'd ask for prayer, that you'd, you'd turn to your neighbor. We want to foster more of a culture of prayer in this church, that it's more normative, that we bring each other's requests to God on their behalf. So whether it's big or small, like if you need prayer, like find someone in this room. Like we all care about each other. We all love each other. Like we want, we would love to pray for you. So let's do that and let's uh, worship God for who he is and what he's done.